Well, this uh, Sunday we have this amazing uh, parable of the two sons, the parable of the prodigal son, but really it's the parable of the two sons. And um, first let us look at what motivates Jesus to tell this parable. So he's, you know, he's, he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. I mean, the tax collectors were also sinners, but just to prove how much they were despised, they're given their own name in the story. So he was, he was hanging out with just, you know, the regular sinners and then even tax collectors, right? Because back then nobody likes, liked the tax collectors as opposed to now. And um, so a rabbi was not supposed to hang out with these kinds of people. You don't hang out with these kinds of people. You know, you don't consort with these kinds of people. And so the Pharisees, who knew everything, or thought they did, and they thought they knew about proper behavior and etiquette and conduct and all the rest, began to grumble about it. They began to complain about Jesus uh, spending all of his time with sinners. You know, he should be spending his time with them or the righteous people. And so when the Lord hears their complaining, he addressed this parable to them, to the Pharisees, to those who sat in judgment, right? So what motivates him is that they would have the correct understanding of God's disposition toward sinners. How does God feel about sinners? What does he think? I mean, do you ever wonder what God thinks of you? What does God think of me? I wonder what he thinks of me. I wonder how he sees me. You know, because all of us, of course, being sinners, how would the Lord view me? Okay, so then let's dig into the parable. Now, I know you've heard the story before, but we're going to go through it. So, the younger son comes to the father and says, give me my share of the inheritance, which is akin to saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Because that's when you get your inheritance, right, after, after your father dies. So, He's basically saying, you know, I'd rather, exp- I'd rather if we could just expedite your death, but since we can't, just give me, give me what, you know, I have coming to me now. And the father in his generosity gives it to him. And then the son goes off to a foreign land and basically uh, just spends it all partying, right? I mean, spends it on all of the things you ought not spend your money on. It's kind of like going to Vegas and spending your entire inheritance and realizing, oh gosh, now I don't have any money left. I'm sure no one's ever done that, right? Um, But it's kind of like that. I mean, it's kind of like going to Vegas and expending all of your money on everything it has to offer, all of the bad things you can imagine. So then he, you know, it just happened, he just happens to figure out that now he has no money left. So, you know, this guy clearly was not prepared, wasn't, had no foresight, had no sense of responsibility. And so he lends himself out to, to a farmer who, who lets him uh, tend the swine. So there he is feeding the pigs. You know, that's his job, feeding the pigs. And he's so poor that he longed to eat what the pigs were eating because he's so hungry. I mean, imagine that. Pigs eat everything. They'll eat anything, you know? The worst scraps, they'll eat it. He wishes he had that, the worst slop that the pigs had. That's how, that's how bad off this son was. I mean, he really hit rock bottom, right? And so then, finally, he says, 
what am I doing? How did, how did I end up here, living with the pigs? Have you ever seen a, a pig pen? I mean, a real, some, I know a lot of you have. I actually had an uncle who, who raised pigs, and it's just nasty, nasty, nasty. So here he is with the swine and realizes, you know, what am I doing? He, he comes to his senses. He has what's called a conversion. He has a metanoia, a change of his mind, a turning around. He recognizes, you know what? I could go back to my father. I've sinned against my father. I just, if I just go back to him and say that I'm sorry, treat me, treat me like one of your workers. Don't, I have no right to be called your son. Treat me as one of your workers. Because if, if, if he would just treat them like one of his workers, he'd have enough to eat, he'd have a job, he'd be fine. He doesn't want a lot from his father. He just is going to go back and ask for a little. He's already asked for a lot. So then we're told the son goes back, and there's the father outside, and catches sight of his son coming far off in the distance. It kind of makes you wonder how many days, how many different, I mean, it's a parable, but how often the father had looked off into the distance with longing to see his son again, all right? Just to see his son return. And as soon as he sees his son, and he can tell it's his son way off in the distance, he goes running to his son. He runs to his son. The father runs to the sinner and embraces him. And the the son tries to get out, you know, his apology. Um, You know, I'm sorry, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as one of you. And And the father doesn't even spend time on that. Right away, he calls a servant and he says, you know, put some new clothes on him. Put a ring on his finger. Get the best calf we have. Slaughter it. We're going to have a feast because my son is back with me. You know, the father wasn't concerned about all of his sins. He didn't dwell on it. He could have. You know, the father could have really made him beg or, or grovel. He didn't. He didn't even focus on the sins. He didn't even focus on the apology. He knew. He knew his son was was sorry because he had come back. So the father's disposition toward his son, God's disposition toward us is this. God loves, desperately loves sinners. And I think sometimes we think, well, God will only love me if if I'm perfect or sinless or, you know. No, God loves sinners. And this is what Jesus is trying to get across to these, you know, idiot Pharisees who want to judge everybody. Everybody has to be perfect or else they can't, you know, you can't spend time with God. Nonsense. The Lord is clearly communicating, I love sinners. I want to be with sinners. And of course, he longs for conversion, of course. But even when the Lord Jesus was spending his time with all these sinners, We're not told that they were necessarily in that moment converting. No doubt he longed for it, like the father looking for a son off in the distance. But Jesus was in the midst of these people, these sinners, loving them anyway. And longing for more, but loving them there. And so, you know, the son is brought into the house. And this is how we understand God views sinners. And how God views sinners who repent and come back to him. 
that it's almost as if as soon as we as soon as we say in our minds we're sorry it's done i don't know if you know this but the the church teaching on on confession and mortal sin you know that venial sin we can confess directly to god but but mortal sin we're supposed to go to confession as soon as we are contrite as soon as we have contrition for our sins and desire to go to confession it's already forgiven now we're supposed to still go and tell the priest and get absolution, but the church teaches that God's mercy is so strong and pervasive that as soon as we manifest the desire to confess, we're already forgiven. It's in the catechism. We believe this because of how strong God's mercy and love is for us. And so I, I know that many of us think, well, what is God, again, what does he think of me? What does he think of my sins? You know, how awful he must think of me. I'm embarrassed to even tell him my sins. Look at how the parable goes. The son can barely even get the sin out. And the father says, forget about it. Time to celebrate. You're forgiven. You know, because the father, just like a, any, any of you who are fathers, you, can, you see your children, you see your child go off, and, and you know they're going to go and make a bunch of bad decisions and, and maybe even offend you. There's, there's a part of you that already forgives them because you understand they don't completely know what they're doing. They don't know, perhaps, yet the full gravity of their action. And no doubt, as soon as your child comes back and says they're sorry, yeah, they need to learn their lesson, but one's heart should well with mercy and love for them. Okay, so they're back in the house. The, the young son is, now has this grand party celebration of the year because he's come back to life and the other son right who represents the pharisees the other son who does everything right who's who's never you know went off and done all these bad things he's the righteous one he's the good one right as soon as he finds out that his his father is celebrating because his brother is back he's bitter He's judgmental. He was, he's resentful. You know, how could, my, how could my father be celebrating my brother's return when my brother went off and spent all of his money on prostitutes? How could he do that? You know, he deserves to be punished. He doesn't deserve to be celebrated. He doesn't deserve uh, new clothes and a ring and sandals and, you know, all of the fatted calf, etc. He doesn't deserve that. The older son wants judgment, and he wants, this, he wants his brother to get what he deserves. He wants him to have divine justice. I'm sure that many of us have been in that sort of mindset, perhaps. You know, we look at somebody else and think, well, well who are they? You know, we, they should get justice. They should get divine justice. Can you imagine if all of us got what we deserve from God? Can you imagine how awful that would be? If, if, if we made a list, we just pick one of you out there, you know, we'll bring you up and we'll say, okay, you've been alive for how many years? 60 some years? Okay, list every single sin, then we're gonna judge you. We don't want what we deserve. We do not want it. And God doesn't make us have it. God is 
perfectly just and perfectly merciful. But the justice has already been served by virtue of his son's death on the cross. We don't have to suffer it. We don't have to suffer the justice. And so God can give us perfect mercy. And the, the older son didn't get it. The Pharisees didn't get it. And, and a lot of times we don't get it. Right? All those bad people out there, they deserve justice and divine judgment. Well, so do we. But God is not offering us that. It's not even on the table, really. He's offering us mercy. He's offering us love and forgiveness. And so the, the father begs the older son, come and celebrate. Your brother is back. And the older son, in, in, the, in the words of true dispossession, he says, your, your son, he doesn't say my brother. He doesn't say John, my brother. He says, your son went off and spent all this money. He wants his father to condemn him, to be harsh. And the father will not. He will not be this way. He is not this way. And he begs the son, begs the older son, come, come in and celebrate. Your brother was dead. He was dead. And now he's been brought back to life. So why does Jesus spend time with the sinners and the tax collectors? Why does he love us so much? Because he waits and waits and waits for the opportunity for us to turn back to him so he can shower us with love and forgiveness and mercy, not judgment, not what we deserve, but all of the many gifts he has to give us. So as we continue with this Lent, wherever each of us are at, you know, with our relationship with God, it's, it's where we're at, right? And uh, maybe we're afraid to tell him our sins. Maybe we're afraid of what he thinks. Maybe we think God is a God of judgment and harshness. But this is not who Jesus says God is. And who would know better? Who would know better but the Son, God himself. Let us trust the Son. Let us trust Jesus, that our Father is waiting to give us his mercy and a celebration. Please stand.